I invite you now, if you have your Bibles, to please turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter 14 for our scripture reading today. Luke chapter 14. There in Luke 14, I will begin reading in verse 25 and through to 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you bow with me once more? Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that you spoke those many years ago. Thank you that they ring true again today, that they are for us, and that by your Spirit you would speak through them and speak through me, your servant. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The sermon I've entitled, First Count the Cost. I'll begin this morning with one of my favorite stories that I've shared before of the chicken and the pig. It seems that one day in the farmyard, the chicken and the pig were having an argument over which one of their contributions towards producing the farmer's bacon and egg breakfast was greater. The chicken said, well, I have to lay an egg and give up my future chicks every single day. Therefore, my contribution is the greatest. Well, that is indeed impressive, replied the pig. But while your contribution requires some sacrifice, Mine requires total commitment. Now, next time you enjoy your bacon and egg breakfast, I want you to ask yourself, in my Christian life, am I like the chicken or the pig? Am I just casually committed, giving a part of my resources, a part of my life, or like that pig who has to give his very life for that bacon? Am I all in for Jesus? Am I fully committed? Now today we have just heard Alyssa and Lee's testimonies of God's power and grace at work in their lives and their commitment to follow Jesus as their Savior and Lord for the rest of their lives. We then bore witness as they entered the waters of baptism. That act of baptism gives weight to their words because the actions have followed the confession. It serves as the outward physical sign of the inward spiritual reality that through faith in Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, their hearts have been cleansed and their sins washed away. For going under the water served as a symbol that they have been buried with Christ in his death 
And so the old self dies in the water. It stays below. But when they arose from the water, by that same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, they too rise from the water to live a brand new life in Jesus and for Jesus. And so for Alyssa and Lee today, their actions spoke for themselves, that they are totally committed to Christ and to following him with their lives. Now, likewise, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus gave out this call. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, this is a familiar verse to most of us, but what does it really mean? What does the self-denying, cross-carrying, Jesus-following life of a disciple really look like? Take, for instance, this act of water baptism that we just witnessed. It is over in just a moment. Now, I remember a long time ago already, Caden, uh, when I baptized him, it had to be a little bit longer, and, and we'd talked about that for quite a while. So he stayed under a little longer than most, but, you know, this was just a regular speed of baptism here you saw today. It's over in just a minute, just a second. But then what? It's a powerful moment in their lives, but it is just a moment. What about what comes after? What about the years to follow? You see, this confession and this action, though they, they happen in but a moment, the lifetime is to follow. And so baptism is not the finish line of faith, it is the starting line. It is the beginning point. And so does following Jesus simply mean things like, you know, um, I might say a quick prayer before my meal? Does it simply mean that I own a Bible even if it mostly sits on my shelf collecting dust? Does it mean that maybe I show up to church once in a while or watch an online sermon? Does it mean that I put a few bucks in the offering box every once in a while? Is that all it means? Or could it be that Jesus had something with including those actions, but also something much, much more in mind than just a few religious duties or tokens that we perform? Could the life of a disciple be less about what I want and more about what Christ wants? And could it be that what Christ wants is not just some of your life, but all of your life? You see, there are many people today who simply do not understand what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. For there are many, many who claim to follow Jesus, but want to do so according to their own terms and not his. They do not truly comprehend the biblical definition of discipleship. And Jesus confronts this problem head on in today's text. There in Luke 14 and verse 25, we begin reading. A large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in this text is that large crowds were following Jesus. Large crowds, a lot of people. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that what every preacher wants is large crowds? 
Shouldn't Jesus just have stopped right then and there and started to build his church? You know, a, a mega church, make it big. There's a crowd of people. And yet he does exactly the opposite. We, we see him do something very strange. And we wonder, why then did he confront these large crowds with such a difficult calling, such a direct challenge? Why risk chasing them away? The reason is because Jesus did not want casual followers. Jesus desired truly committed disciples who prioritized him above all else, and with such passion and devotion and commitment that even their natural love for their family, their friends, and yes, even spouses and children would look like hatred in comparison. And now listen, just as those were the kind of disciples Jesus was looking for way back then, they are still the kind of disciples Jesus is looking for today. But how many are truly ready and willing to receive such a call? You see, Jesus knew way back then that the majority of the people in the crowd that day were only following him for what he could do for them. And so long as Jesus kept the miracles rolling, the food coming, and the teaching light and fluffy, well then, they would stick around for more. But what if Jesus demanded something more of them in return? What if following would require suffering or even persecution along the way? Were they ready and willing to first count the cost? Sadly, the scripture tells us they were not. And not only in this instance, but in others, we see that every time Jesus challenged the crowds with a difficult teaching or call for complete allegiance, the crowds vanished into thin air. For them, the cost was simply too high, and they were unwilling to pay it. Now, there are many people just like that today. Those who want what Jesus has to offer— of course, they want salvation, they want forgiveness, they want inner peace, they want someone to answer their prayers and be there for them in difficult times. But then, when following Jesus becomes inconvenient to their lifestyle, or if it requires making real sacrifice or suffering any sort of opposition, then just like the crowds, they begin to fade away. You see, many people want Jesus as the Savior who sacrificed everything for them by dying on the cross for their sins in their place. But they don't want Jesus as the Lord who then demands a lifetime of allegiance, devotion, and obedient service to him in return, regardless of the cost. You see, the Lord Jesus in that time in this passage, he confronted the crowd's attitude head on, and he says to them, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now at that time in Israel, everyone knew exactly what Jesus meant by carry your own cross. You see, the, the cross, of course, historically, was the cruelest form of execution ever devised by the Romans. And they, of course, had occupied Israel. And so in order to keep the people under their boot heel and to strike terror into the hearts of anyone who would dare oppose them, the Romans would use this form of, of execution and make it a public spectacle whereby the condemned man was forced to carry his own cross to the place of execution. Everyone knew that a man seen carrying his cross 
was a dead man walking. He was saying goodbye to everyone and everything, including his own life. And Jesus uses this vivid, visceral, painful, blood-soaked illustration with the intent of showing us that following him requires that same kind of saying goodbye to our own will, our own desires, our own family ties, if that is necessary, because of our commitment to him. It also foreshadowed the reality that Jesus himself was headed towards the cross. For Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus calls each and every one of his followers to do the same, to follow his example and to pick up our own cross and follow him. And Jesus teaches that in order to be a true disciple, it means being committed to him above everything and everyone else. It means that Jesus as your Lord is first place in your heart above all else, above family, spouse, children, friends, self-interest, self-gratification, money and the pursuit of it, possessions, career ambitions, hobbies, even your own life. Simply put, to carry your cross means that you are all in. So allow me to ask, if following Jesus results in problems or interferes with your closest relationships, will you still follow? This is no mere hypothetical situation. In many people's lives, following Jesus has meant the end of relationship, the loss of friends, strained family ties, and in some instances, even resulted in being disowned by family and in some horrific cases, even being killed by them. So are you prepared to give up your family if that is what is required to keep following Jesus? The second one is, if following Jesus interferes with your career path, your ambitions, will you still follow? Remember, Jesus confronted every one of his disciples in their careers. Most of them are fishermen, one was a tax collector, some were in other careers, and Jesus said, are you ready to leave those careers to come follow me? For me, Jesus interfered with my career path. Many of you know my story. I wanted to be a, a pilot. That was my life's ambition, my dream. But he hijacked that. He derailed it. And he set me on a new course. And today, I'm a pastor and I'm up here preaching instead of flying planes. You see, Jesus, when he calls us to be a true disciple, he's saying all of that is secondary and all of it is open to be changed when we give our allegiance to him. He must come before everything else. Now, some of you may think that this requirement, this call of total commitment, is contradictory to scriptural truth that salvation is a free gift of God. Well, an illustration may help to clarify this issue. Say I wanted to climb Mount Everest, but it costs about $70,000 to, up to upwards of $100,000 today to, to do a full expedition to climb Mount Everest. But now suppose you have this ambition, but you don't have the money. Then suppose a wealthy businessman hears of your desire and offers to, to sponsor you and fund the entire expedition. He would buy all the expensive clothing and gear. He would pay for your transportation, the Sherpa guides, and all the training. It's totally free for you financially. But if you accept his free offer, 
You have then just committed yourself to months and months of difficult training and arduous effort followed by a very dangerous climb and ascent. It could even end up costing you your very life because many, many good climbers have died trying to climb Mount Everest. On one hand, it is free, everything is paid for, and yet on the other hand, it is very costly because you have to follow through with your actions. In the same way, entering the grace of God, the waters of baptism, it is free. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. There is nothing more that we can bring. There's no checkbook required. It is just your faith, your allegiance to bring to him, and it's paid for. But then on the one hand, though it is free, on the other hand, it is costly because then Jesus says, now it's time to follow through with your life and with your actions. And so when we come to him, it means that this time of being a part of the the crowd, the casual follower of Jesus who maybe hangs around while there's exciting things going on, but then takes off at the sign of any trouble or commitment, that time is over, Jesus says. The life of true discipleship has begun. Of course, the large crowds were casual followers, not true disciples. So the question Jesus would ask each one of us today is, which one are you? Are you just along for the ride, so long as it's smooth? Or have you first counted the cost? Returning to Luke 14, continuing in verse 28. Don't begin, Jesus says. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? And on a side note, that's a very relevant application today, isn't it? (laughs) Material costs have gone through the roof. I think we're probably recalculating and recalculating if we can afford to build what maybe you wanted to build. Today, counting the cost in this realm is very applicable. Jesus continues. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. There's a a story I've shared once before of a a TV commercial that shows a man sitting in the chair at a tattoo parlor. And he's expressing his love for his girlfriend, Donna, by getting her name tattooed to his arm. Halfway through the procedure, he asks, how much will it cost? $50, the tattoo artist replies. He pulls out his wallet, sees how much cash is in there, and says, Oh, I only have 40 bucks. Uh, what can I get for 40 bucks? And so the tattoo artist says, Well, I'll keep going and see where I end up to. And so then the commercial cuts to the couple on the sidewalk, and there we see Donna, the girlfriend, storming off with the guy yelling after her, I can get it fixed. The camera then zooms into the tattoo on his arm, which reads, I love Dawn. The point is clear. One should make sure they are willing and able to pay pay the full price prior to making the commitment. Am I in this for the long haul? Unlike most rabbis back then or many preachers today, Jesus wasn't interested in the numbers And the large crowds didn't impress him. What Jesus was looking for then and what he is still seeking today is disciples who are totally committed, holding nothing back. Now the condition of much of what is called Christianity today indicates that the conditions of ancient Israel aren't so foreign today. 
And there are many today who are a part of the casual crowd, but not true disciples, for they have not first counted the cost. And though a verbal profession of faith may be present, the totally committed life that Jesus demands is sorely lacking. So when the first hint of adversity or trouble or personal cost arrives, they simply fall away, they vanish. Of course, in daily practice, we know that this total commitment to Jesus will be tested frequently. And sometimes in moments of weakness, yes, we fall short and we stumble into sin. But a true disciple never stays there. A true disciple feels the conviction of the Spirit, realizes they have fallen short, and confesses that sin, repents of it, is restored and perseveres in following Christ. For the success or failure of a true disciple, much like a marathon runner, is not measured by how well or how fast they start the race or by how many times they might fall along the way. But instead, it is measured by how many times they get back up and doggedly keep going towards the goal until they cross the finish line on that glorious day when we will meet Jesus face to face. As Hebrews 12 verse 1 states, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set out for us. Now, for those of you listening today, and maybe some of you realize this morning that you have not yet begun the race, you have not started by making a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I want you to clearly understand what following Jesus really means. And I want you to understand it before you make the commitment. Don't start a race that you can't finish. Jesus says, first, count the cost. And for those of you that have already made that commitment and are running the race... Let this lesson be a reminder of what counting the cost to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ is really all about. And so be motivated to run with endurance the race God has set out before us. During his weekly podcast, Pastor John Piper was once sent the following question by a listener named Sally who asked, Within Christ's call to be his disciple, how do we discern the cost and count that cost in each of our individual callings? Most significantly, how do we count the cost in advance when we do not know what the cost will be? Now listen closely to Pastor Piper's excellent reply. He says, The answer, Sally, is that Jesus requires up front a commitment to the highest possible cost. Do you got that? He requires commitment to the highest possible cost. And nothing later is going to surprise you then because you've already totally sold out to the highest, most excessive cost. In other words, you don't need to know the specifics of the cost in your own particular case if the agreement you sign from the beginning is, I am yours at any cost. Now along the way, there are many who have counted that cost and have paid that price in full. One real-life example took place on the morning of July 15, 1555, at exactly 9 a.m., when two men were led to their execution in London during the reign of bloody Queen Mary. 
They were condemned to be burnt alive as heretics simply for professing their faith in Christ. One was a young man of 19 named John Leaf. The other was a bit older, about 45 years old, whose name was John Bradford. Among Bradford's final words at the stake were these, O England, O England, repent. Then turning to the young man who was to suffer alongside him, he said to him, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a happy supper with the Lord this night. Then embracing the wood of his very execution, he repeated our Savior's words, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Thus says John Fox in his Book of Martyrs, like two lambs, they both ended their mortal lives, being void of all fear. So my friends, in closing, let me ask you once more, are you more like that chicken or like the pig? Are you just casually committed like the crowds, or are you all in for Jesus? Is there a point where the cost would simply be too high, and you'll start looking for the exits? Or like John Leaf and John Bradford, have you already counted the highest, most excessive cost, and so be willing to face even a fiery death rather than renounce your Savior and Lord? This challenging call from our Lord Jesus to first count the cost, yes, it is not an easy one to receive. In fact, it, it remains just as difficult today as the day that Jesus first spoke those words. However, receiving his call is and remains the only pathway to life everlasting. For as the Lord Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few find it. So which road are you on? Are you traveling with the many, with the crowds on the broad road? With those same crowds that so eagerly sought Jesus for the good times, but then disappeared the moment the cost of following became too high? Or are you traveling with the few on the narrow road? with those who have first counted the highest, most excessive cost, and so will continue to follow Jesus to the very end, no matter what. My hope and prayer for each one of you today is that you have first counted the cost, and even now are traveling with Jesus on the narrow road that leads to life. However, if you recognize in this moment that you are not, then why not begin changing that today? And start your journey with Jesus, even now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we receive your word today. And Lord, it is a hard word to receive, but by faith, we know it is the only way, the only path to life and life everlasting. And because, Lord, you have called us to something that you yourself willingly endured and faced, the cross of death, of execution, of agony. And so, Lord, you have shown us the way. And further, you have shown us the way beyond the cross and into the grave and through to life everlasting. And so, Lord Jesus, today by faith, we choose to receive your call and to first count the cost, to realize that there is no price, there is no cost too high in following you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's people here today, if there's anyone listening 
who would recognize that they are just one in the crowd, who are ready to hit the exits at the moment of trouble. I pray, Lord, that your word would bring conviction, bring repentance, and bring a resolve and commitment for true faith that you require. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who just recognizes that they have not yet even begun the race of faith in any way, that the starting line can be right now, that as they come to you in faith, in who you are and what you've done, in true repentance of sins, that your grace is available, ready to pardon in full and to welcome them into your, into your family and as your disciple. And so, Lord, I pray that this word would find good soil today, that you would bless it by your spirit, and that it would bring fruit in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I know we normally sing this song before a mealtime, but I would invite you to join with me in singing the doxology in closing as an act of prayer and praise and worship to our great God. Would you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his smiling face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.